and go uh, continue on in our series this morning on the book of Ephesians, Discovering Our True Identity in Christ. We're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 4 in just a minute, but last Sunday as we, be, as we ended the message, uh, we went through a lot of verses last Sunday, a lot of information, and I got down to the end as I was ready just to kind of wrap up my papers and close the message, and, and the Lord just pointed me back to that word down there, the very last verse, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ and God forgave you. And he said, Peter, you're going back to that next Sunday. So here we are, following the Holy Spirit's direction, talking about the fact that we can be forgiving. But I think this morning, probably for most of us, is the fact that we are to be full of forgiveness. This is God's design for us to be full of forgiveness towards others. And we're going to work through a lot of stuff this morning. We're going to pray for swiftness as we go, but a lot to do. Um, But first, we want to hear the word for us today. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Amen. May the holy word of God live powerfully in our lives. One of my favorite books in the whole Bible is the book of Ruth. How many of you love the book of Ruth? I've read that it may be one of the greatest short stories written in the history of the world. And if you know that story, you're introduced very on to a woman named Naomi. She lives in Israel. She's a child of God. She's faithful to his word and to his people. But suddenly a great famine hits the nation. And her husband decides to leave this place for a different land. And it's a big thing. They're leaving the presence of God. They're leaving the temple of God. They're leaving the people of God. Probably never a good decision to make, but a decision that he made, and they took their family with them. Their children marry godless spouses, and her husband, the children die, and the woman is left destitute, poor, and absolutely alone. Her life becomes quickly difficult and devastated. Now, originally, her name meant to be sweet, a sweet aroma, but then you see in this Bible passage that decides to change her name. And in Ruth chapter 1, verse 20, she says this statement, Do not call me Naomi any longer but Mara, because my life has become very bitter. And in that place, in that moment, she changes her name. And in so doing, she redefines her identity, not as a sweet child of God, but as woman who is marked by bitterness and by loss. And the struggles in her life became the defining moment for her for many, many years to come. In fact, her name, her new name, Mara, means bitter. 
and she identified herself as a person who experienced bitterness. And I wonder in our lives if we've ever had a Mara moment or a Mara relationship or a Mara situation where it just seems like everything that we do and everything that we try continues to come back to this idea of bitterness. The Bible has a lot to say about it. The Bible has a lot to say about forgiveness. The Bible has a lot to say about our hearts and about the ministry of the Holy Spirit inside of each of our lives. And looking back over 15-plus years of pastoral ministry, I think every counseling session I've ever done, eventually it comes down in some way to this issue of bitterness. Not that they're full of it, not that they're blinded by it, but that it comes to the fact that when we're faced with circumstances and situations in life, just like Naomi had, we have a choice to make. Would you agree with me this morning that the Christian life is a life that is full of choices? Every day, many times for us, every second of every day, our lives are defined by the choices that we make. And so we're going to look at the choices that we make in our lives as believers. And before we get into all of the ideas of forgiveness, we want to talk for a few minutes about about the struggle that we all face in how we respond, because we can be like Mara and choose bitterness, or we can be like Jesus and choose joy and forgiveness. So there's a few things about bitter people that I just want to kind of get out of the way. Maybe you'll identify with something in your life or someone that you know, a struggle that you have in this way, but there's a few things you see on the screen screen that people that struggle with this struggle with, and one of them is that they're bitter people like archaeologists. They're always digging up the past, right? We had to have an archaeologist come out to the property that we're looking at accepting as a gift, and we had to pay an archaeologist thousands and thousands of dollars to look for any kind of Native American artifact on our property. And if they found um, a significant number of them and we were to go forward with the the process, we would have to pay pay an archaeologist to be on site for any of the excavation and have to save all the relics that were cataloged them and it would be uh, quite a mess. Thankfully, we only found one way back in the far corner, far away from anything that we would have to do. But, but some of us are archaeologists in our hearts. We just continually go back to that place, to that past, to that person, to that situation, to that moment. And it was like, that was the day I will never forgive them. That was the day they ruined me. That was the day I'll never That was a moment that I cannot go on from. That was a situation I will not get over and you continually dig it back up. You're like a, a, memor- a memorial archaeologist in that way. One of the reasons that is, and it kind of feeds the next idea, is that bitter people remember intricate details they are stuck in the past. Not only do you dig it up, but you just don't get by it. And so it comes, and you go over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. My mom was like that early on after my parents' divorce. I never talked about her getting past anything, moving beyond anything. It was always, he did this and he did that and he won't stop doing this and he won't quit doing that. And and it was just a, a cycle for her. And every time she brought it up, there was anger and frustration. And and even as a young child, I was like, man, it would sure be nice of her to move beyond some of the past. But she was stuck there and it keeps, kept coming back. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 says, love keeps no record of wrongs, right? And it doesn't mean we don't remember, and we'll get to that later. It just simply means that in order to go forward, you've got to let go of something. 
If you want to go forward in your Christian life, then you've got to let go of your sins, right? You've got to forgive yourself just as Christ forgives you. In order to go forward in a marriage, you've got to be able to forgive your spouse, amen? Don't say anybody's name out loud. It's true. We drive each other crazy sometimes, and sometimes it's even on purpose. Most of the time, I hope that it's just because we're different, and we come together, and we have to forgive ourselves. And in order for a healthy marriage, you've got to go, right? You've got to leave them in the past and focus on now and tomorrow. As a church, that's true too. If we're going to go anywhere as a church, then we've got to let go of some things, let go of the past, and look towards where we want to go together into the future. But some of us are the spiritual archaeologists of the church, and we just cannot let go of the past. Another thing that better people struggle with is that they are, and this as I thought about this, I, I, I wasn't sure at first, but the more I thought about it, it makes sense. On the screen, it says you're triggered by love for an offender, but let me explain what that means. I wrote it down this way in my notes. Bitter people are triggered less by the offense and more by their love for the offender. Or said another way, how many of you ever had your feelings hurt? Okay, the rest of you are asleep. It's time for everyone to wake up. All right, but most of you raised your hands, so that was good. I think I got more raised hands for that than anything since I've been here. So we're all living this, right? I mean, this is real for us, every one of us. We have a decision to make. And have you ever just had someone come up on the, you know, you're walking down the street, going, you know, maybe to a restaurant in a part of town you're not usually at, and a stranger comes up to you and says, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll personalize it for me. Man, I heard about you at your church, and, and every once in a while, you know, you just say something that steps on people's toes, and I don't know what kind of pastor you are, and who do you think you are? And I'll be like, whoa, so what was your name again, and how do you know about the church and me? And, and I, of course, would want to get to the bottom of it, and, but I, I would probably be like, whoa, what was their problem, and hopefully enjoy the meal I was about ready to have. But it'd be different if it was one of you. We're walking to dinner, my wife and I, and one of you came up to me and you say, who do you think you are? What's your problem? And it may be that it needs something said to me. I'm not saying, what I'm saying is that if it's someone that you know and they step on your toes, doesn't it hurt a whole lot more than a stranger? In fact, the closer the person is to you, the more damaging the fence can be because of the relationship that you had before the problem happened. The closer you are to the person, the harder it hurts and probably the more difficult it is to get over. If a stranger does something to you, you're probably never gonna see them again or at least you hope you never see them again. You don't wanna see them again. Maybe you do wanna see them again and we need to work on some more forgiveness before that moment comes. But it can be that the closer we are to someone, the harder it is to work through it. And another characteristic of people that just really struggle with this is there becomes a self-righteousness complex. Probably didn't start out that way. It started out where, where the, the feelings of hurt and, and the offense was raw. And the grief or the anger or the shock was so real that I can't believe they would say that to me or talk to me that way or do this to me or the way that would happen was never meant to be righted. And so your feelings of affronting were, were right on the forefront. But can I tell you, the longer it goes on, the more spiritual you become and the less spiritual they become. 
The more you stew on it, the more you think about it, the, the, the more innocent you become and the guiltier they become. It's just the, the fact of human nature. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt where we point the beam out in the other's eye without even trying. And that's why Jesus said, hey, you might want to look more closely at the whole thing. But the fact of the matter is, we can have this complex that becomes that we can wrong. We did nothing wrong. And our memory even is jolted and jilted by this idea that we are holier than thou. We are better than the other person, even though if we could relive the moment, both parties were probably guilty. I've shared this story with a couple of you, and maybe I've shared it here as a congregation. I don't remember. But a, a few churches ago, um, we had some conflict arising in the church, and I decided, probably looking back incorrectly, to just invite anyone who wanted to come to a sit-down congregational meeting to sort it out. And, and if, if elders, if I ever recommend that, say, no, remember what happened before. But we did. We invited everyone to come, and we were trying to sort it out, and, and this one particular family was really angry with me really upset, and they came and they said in front of this whole group, we were there for you when you moved in. We watched your kids. No one else did. We, you know, we were there. Why would you treat us like this? And the fact of the matter was, they weren't there. We didn't see them the first week we moved in. They certainly weren't watching our kids. We wouldn't have let them watch our kids. <laughs> but they were convinced, that, you know, it had been weeks and months gone by that they had been thinking about this. And in their mind, in that moment, they were so convinced of their truth prism that they said in front of the entire group, we're angry with you for never thanking us for doing something that they never did. And sometimes we can be so convinced after weeks and months or even years that we're in the right, the facts of the matter may be very different, but it's too late. Because we're right absolutely and they're wrong in every way. I'll share later if we get back to it how I responded in that moment. But I also want to go to the next slide and talk about a few ways that people become better. What are the, what are the causes of what we just talked about being lived out in your life and in mine? And one of them I already alluded to, bad information. Bad information. Now, Rebecca's not here to talk about this, but there was a few weeks at work where she asked to meet with one of her bosses because she was frustrated about something. She's been asking to, she'd been asked to go to several different locations, um, a lot more work than she'd agreed to at initial hire, and she was like, I'm willing to do it, but I want compensated for it. It just makes sense that if you want to ask more out of your employees, uh, that she would get compensated for it, and, and they just ignored that. That didn't even become part of the problem. The problem was she also shared a frustration that she had with one of her, work, one of her um, supervisors who was accusing her of things that never happened. They said that she had subverted their authority by making a couple of appointments or something like that, and they were really upset about it, and she had on her phone the proof that she had gotten permission beforehand. It was in black and white. So she shared with her immediate supervisor her frustration that that was the environment that she was working under. Um, but before she knew what happened, that boss had talked to her boss, who had talked to her boss, and the whole thing blew up in a big human resources meeting, and Rebecca was kind of under the microscope for accusing this woman of being mean to her, which had never been the case. Have you ever heard of the game of telephone? 
Oh, my gosh. If you ever have someone call you and say, hey, I heard someone told me that someone told me that someone told me, you can just hang up the phone. <laughs> or say, you know, can you have that first person call me? Because you're never going to get the right information. Unless you were there in that moment, you probably don't have all the information that you need to have. You probably don't have all the perspective that you need to have. And we need to be really careful about the information that we have. I read a story this week about a, a family that had split. The brothers had been close. They'd started businesses together. And one of the brothers thought that the other had stolen from him. He was convinced, in fact, that this brother had stolen from him. And so he refused to talk to him. The cousins never got together. The family separated at every family holiday. And for decades, they never spoke. And then one of the brothers started going to church and was really burdened by this, and, and so they kind of looked into the matter and come to find out after years and years and years and years, one of the other family employees had done the stealing. And for decades, this family had been separated because of bad information. It happens. Incorrect information, bad memory, it happens. Sometimes we can be offended because of unreasonable or unspoken expectations that are unmet. I'm working with a New Life Friends Church. I'm going to meet with them right after our service um, because they had to, they had to um, dismiss their pastor for moral, moral failure. And they're working on a new pastor. Well, they don't have one. They've never had a pastoral agreement of any kind. There was, there was nothing written down for anyone to, to say, hey, we want you visiting. We want you to preach every Sunday except for these agreed Sundays. You know, we want you to meet with the elders when they meet or whatever. They have nothing written down. And then they had this candidate who was interested in coming, and I was like, if you don't have, if you don't have this written down, then everyone's going to get upset. The congregation's going to be upset. The pastor's going to be upset, and it's, you're just going to invite the same thing back over again. If you can get everything written down, then at least you know what's expected. of you as a church, of them as the pastor, and pray for us as we work to hopefully finish it up uh, this afternoon quickly before uh, some other things that we're doing tonight. Anyone write a contract in a marriage down on paper? I hope you didn't. Some people raise their hand. I don't even pay attention to them anymore. <laughs> Hollywood stars do it a lot. You hear about it all the time. They, you know, there's so much money involved that you've got to get everything written down you know, because more often than not, their marriages uh, last a few days or weeks or months. But we didn't, we, didn't, we didn't write it all down. But what did we do? We made vows to each other, right? And essentially, the vows are no matter what happens, no matter how it happens or who it happens to, I will always be there for you no matter what. No matter what, I'll always be yours and you'll be mine. How many times in our relationships have we been let down? Because in our mind, what that meant to us was not what it meant to the other person. There is the opportunity sometimes for us to develop reasonable expectations or someone just didn't live up to what we thought they should do. Another one quickly is unapproachableness. Have you ever gone to someone and tried to set things straight and they just want nothing to do with you? It's been days or weeks or months, maybe in your family, years or decades and you've tried to go to them and make things right, and they're like, no, it's too late. I want nothing to do with you. I don't want to talk with you. I don't want to be around you. Leave me alone. And does that, does that ooze love? Is that approachable in any way? They, it's just like there's a brick wall. We're going to get by it. 
And sometimes people can be like that. They just don't want to get over their own bitterness. They want to hold it down. They want to hold it down. And they want to keep it locked away inside. Another reason, and it's a really simple one that we can be bitter, is because someone actually did something wrong against us. It'd be interesting if we could sit down and talk about our own circumstances. For all of those who raised your hand who said you've ever been hurt, how many of those times is actually because someone actually did exactly what you thought they did? Or sometimes when you talked it through, it may not have been quite the way you perceived it exactly at the beginning. And many, many times I've worked with people in the church and in counseling. Someone comes to me and, and they tell me all the facts and the way it was. But as we sort it out, there's always... If there's two people in the room, how many perspectives are there in the room? There's two, at least. And then there's God's, right, the third. And I think the Bible teaches us that we need to be sensitive to the, percep- the, to the perceptions and the perspectives of other people. It's something that I've come to learn more and more in my ministry is that we see through our glass darkly, Paul says. And all of us have a dark glass that we see through. Whether you have glasses on or not, it's not about the kind of lens you have on your bifocals or whatever. It's about your heart and your mind. We see through our own prism, and we find it very difficult to look through the prism of anyone else. And if we're going to have unity, if we're going to have togetherness, if we're going to have community, then we have to lay down a little bit of our right to see things our way and be willing to see things through the prism of someone else. That's good preaching right there, friends. That's truth. You and I need to be willing to see things through a different prism than maybe we've ever seen before. You know, I read one of my favorite writers, and I haven't read, read any of her work for a long time, but I came across a quote from Amy Carmichael, one of the greatest missionary writers in all of history. And she wrote this words, and, and hang on, I'll, I'll try to explain it because the first time I read it, I didn't get it. Maybe you'll get it faster than me. These were her words, talking about our hearts in a time of conflict or any time. She's like a cup full to the brim of sweet water. Cannot evil spill one drop of bitter water, however suddenly jolted. So let's say that in modern English. We say we're believers, full of the Holy Spirit, and someone comes and they kick us. She's like, if you're full of the Holy Spirit, evil's not going to come out in your reaction. Sweet water will come out of your action because that's who you are. That's how you live. That's the way you act. That's the way you are. So, we like to say, well, it's their fault. It's their fault that I'm angry. It's their fault that I'm bitter. And I think Amy would differ from you and she'd know what's in the heart comes out when the tangle comes, when the moment arrives, when the conflict ensues, what happens in that moment is who you already are inside, not who they have caused you to become. I read that, I was like, wow, that's so true. Now, the way we respond if we don't, if we don't do something about it can affect who we are. It can lock in a kind of bitterness and anger that we can't get over. But the fact of the matter is that when someone harms us as a child of God, what's already in there spills out when the glass gets suddenly blunt. It was a great truth for me to ponder. And so I want to ask you this morning, what's in your heart already? 
Because we put so much of the burden and the blame on someone else. And, and what does God do? He points us right back to here, right? You're only responsible for you and what's in there. Don't give all the power to someone else. Don't give all, and we'll talk about this in a minute. Don't give the control to somebody else when, when it's all about you and what's already in there. What's in your heart? What's in your soul? Sweetness or bitterness? Naomi or Mara? Don't use the excuse that it's someone else's fault when it always comes back to you. All right, we gotta move on. Six commands that God gives to those who are struggling in, in this area, and we're gonna go through them really quickly because Paul has a lot of, of lists in this passage. One of them, he says, to watch your gossip. We talked about it last Sunday, watch your gossip. When I love this quote I read this week. It says, when we are hurt, we are prone to leak. Let me say that again. When we are hurt, we are prone to leak. I remember working on one of my dad's trucks years ago when we were doing drywall together. It was a 76 Ford truck. One, I bought one just like it a couple years later. And, and back then, any of you working on the car, remember how you could climb in the, in the engine compartment? I mean, it was a Ford, actually. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about that later. Um, but you could open up, literally climbing. In fact, for one time, I climbed in one side, and my dad climbed in the other, and there's room for a third if we need it. And there's so much, now there's so much stuff, you can't even get your hand in there anymore without losing a finger. Um, but I was working on that vehicle, and, and I changed the oil and made sure the, the, um, the screw it in tight so we didn't have a problem later. A few days later, the, the engine got really hot. And come to find out that somewhere during the week, I'd hit a bump, and I'd ding that pan, and there was a hole in there, and it started to leak. And it didn't take very long for all the oil to drain, and unless something was done to fix it, that engine was going to burn up. And I think that's true for the human heart. If there's a leak, if there's something that's going on, the longer we wait to deal with it, the more danger the engine of our heart, our soul is, of having significant problems in our walk with God, each other in every way. And so there's this idea, how many of you like to make campfires? Your hands are tired of going up, I can tell. I cannot tell you how much I love a good fire. In fact, the other day, the last cool day that we had before the weather warmed up, that's what we did. We made a fire in the fireplace at the house, and I was just so happy. It just felt so good. Um, and the idea is kind of like, you know, when, when a fire starts, when there's a conflict, some of us just like to continually throw more wood on the fire, right? The more we think about it, the hotter it gets. The more we, the more we ponder what happens and we get angry, you know, the fire just gets hotter and hotter and hotter. And then, you know, we talk about gossip. Then we go to someone else, and, and they add more wood to our fire, and we add more wood to their fire, and the whole thing just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and hotter and hotter and hotter. And Jesus said, I just wish someone would bring me a cup of cold water. So what are you feeding the situation with? More wood, more talk, more damaging against the other person. Maybe you should do more talking to this person than about the other person in the situation that we have. And if you're on social media, man, that just multiplies it by a million. You come and talk to me about something that happened this week, and I'll tell you my own experience of how that can play out sometimes in the weirdest ways. Maybe we should talk more to God about it than to anyone else. And I tell you, if you talk to God about a situation in life, that's never gossip. That's prayer. That's what prayer is, talking to God about it. Another caution we have is watch your emotions. Now, the Bible says to be angry and sin not. How many of you are good? 
Ah, nobody raised their hand. We are an honest bunch today. I didn't raise my hand either. Did you notice that? It is so hard to live in a fallen world in a broken spawn in a holy way. That's why we need the sermon series coming up on the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit because we need God's help in this way. And the Bible says over and over and over again that God is slow to wrath. He is slow to become angry. And there's other times where he just... But one of the ways that they define that language is God has a slow wick. If you have candles in your house, then you know what that means. Some of them, it means that you light that candle and it's gone in five minutes. It just burns so fast that you barely get to enjoy the aroma and it's gone. Others, if you have candles, you've had them for months. They'll burn for an hour or two here and an hour or two there and they just never go out. And God has a kind of patience to his emotions that just doesn't snap at the beat of a heart or the flip of a switch, but is long-suffering and patient towards those around him. So Watch our emotions, guard our hearts, guard our responses because out of our heart come the issues of life. I love the story of the founder of Mothers Against Drunk Driving. She was angry because there was no justice. There was no, there was no, seemingly on this earth nothing to be done about the injustice that was caused. Instead of being bitter and angry, she did something productive to help those in her similar situation. It was a beautiful change in her focus and her heart. In other ways, to watch our clock. How many of you ever heard the Bible verse, do not let the sun go down on your wrath? I've heard that says if something happens today, you cannot not let it go on until tomorrow. A lot of truth in that. But the fact of the matter is, the longer you let it go on, the worse it gets, right? How many of you, by burying your head in the sand, have ever caused help a conflict get better? Well, you had it in the head in the sound. You couldn't hear anything, right? You were oblivious to what was going on, but as soon as you pulled your head back out of the sand, whoa, that person was right there. And more than likely, they were more upset with you or you with them than when you first stuck your head in the sand to begin with. We got to be careful about the timing around us. Another way to, to think about this is to watch our hands. Divorce attorneys will tell you that this is a big thing. When, when it gets to this place, the things that people do with their hands change people's lives. And we need to be very careful in that way. Another thing is, and it's kind of implied in all the others, watch our mouths. The verse in this passage says this about this idea. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths. I'm not really sure there's a whole lot else I need to say about that. We need to move on really quickly before we get done with our time. I want to talk uh, a couple more things about what forgiveness is not. We've talked about bitterness. We've talked about the conflict, and you know it already. If there's something in your life, if there's something in your heart, we don't have to spell it out anymore. I think by now you know. And so it's a reminder again, what are you going to do about it that comes next? But I Real quickly about, about some things forgiveness in our life is not, because sometimes in the church we're taught differently. You'll see them up on the screen. First of all, forgiveness is not denying that it ever occurred. Forgiveness is not saying, well, that never happened. I'm just going to pretend that never existed. That person never did that to me. Come on now, it happened. And it's okay to admit that. Another thing is not enabling sin. If you know someone is beating someone up on a regular basis, is forgiveness continuing to allow it to happen? No, that's called stupidity. Uh, Thirdly, forgiveness is not necessarily a response to an apology. 
Do you know that you can forgive someone without them apologizing to you? At least have a spirit of forgiveness in your heart that you're free, even if they aren't. It's not necessarily a response to an apology. Another thing, forgiveness is not covering up a situation. It's not pretending it didn't happen. It's not pretending you didn't have feelings about it. It's not pretending that you don't feel wronged or they don't feel wronged. It's not, the, it's not a cover-up. Number five, forgiveness is not forgetting. Some of you are really bad at letting some things go. But it doesn't mean that you're not a follower of Jesus if you are not able to forget a past offense. It means you're human. It means your brain is working properly. It's functioning correctly. That emotional experiences are burned into your mind. And it's unreasonable for us to believe that we're just going to forget them. Another thing, especially those with deep hurts, forgiveness is not trust. If there's been a long series of damage or abuse, it doesn't mean that suddenly with a flip of a switch, your relationship is completely restored in every way. It just means you are free to live in your current space without holding something against someone. But it may mean that you need to make some decisions to protect yourself or your family. And forgiveness on its own is not reconciliation. Imagine those brothers I talked about earlier, decades apart. Cousins grew up not even knowing the other cousins. Do you think the fact that those two brothers came together after all that time and forgave each other meant that everything was, was fine now? They were strangers in their own family. There was birthdays and anniversaries and Christmases that were missed and so much to work to bring things back together. And just because you are able to forgive or give forgiveness or be forgiven does not mean that the restoration process is done. It just means that you're able to begin it. And so those quickly were some things that forgiveness is not, and we're going to go real quickly into some things forgiveness is, and then we're going to be done. And what I'm hoping to do in this short list is is to invite you into the meanings of what forgiveness is to be. This This is how you can live in the light of maybe the pain that you feel or the damage that you feel has been done. This is what God is offering you and I to live into, and then we'll be done. Canceling a debt. It's canceling a debt that you owe. Now, if you're the one who's harmed someone, you go to them and you ask for an apology, you are in their debt, and they have released you from any kind of responsibility that you have. If you're the one offering forgiveness, then you let go of your control and ability manipulate them in any way that you'd want to. But the Bible says that Jesus paid our debt. And all, remember the song, all to him I owe? Sin has left the crimson stain. He's washed me white as snow. There's a canceling of a debt when we allow forgiveness to come in. And no longer do we hold things against each other. No longer do we hold things over our heads. We're back on equal footing, right? We're equals in the eyes of God. But when we allow bitterness and unforgiveness to come in, we hold something again. Forgiveness is canceling of a debt owed. Another thing that forgiveness is, is is removing control the offender has over you. I talked about this earlier. If someone has hurt you and you're unable to forgive them, you think that you have power over the situation, but the fact of the matter is the situation has power over you, and you cannot get over it. You cannot get past it. You cannot let it go. You cannot move on. You're stuck in the past, that archaeological dig of the heart, what God wants to lead you into the manna of the Holy Spirit 
in their presence. So there's a letting go of control that the person has over you. What a beautiful moment it was for my mom. I was a lot of years coming, but one day I could just tell that she was different. And she says, no longer am I going to let the things that your dad did to me hurt me any longer. And she's a different person after that day where she just decided to let those things go and move on with her life. And she's so much happier in that moment. So third, it is, it is a gift to yourself. The lie of the enemy is that we're only going to be happy when that person suffers or when that person pays or, you know, I make them feel this for a lot longer. But the fact of the matter is, until you have peace, you're not going to be happy. Until you have peace, you're not going to be unified. Until you, until you have peace in your heart, you're not going to get along. You're not going to have the same kind of fellowship and relationship. You're going to continue to hurt and fester and suffer. And the Bible says forgiveness is a gift to your own heart. Number four, forgiveness is forsaking of revenge. Romans 12, 19, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. And human nature is we want them to feel all that we felt or even more. And then we remember what Jesus did on the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they've done. You know, that family that accused me of lying that church, I had no idea what they were saying. The facts were skewed. The way they said it was hurtful, and I obviously still remember it to this day. And I cannot imagine going from that place bound by that false accusation, bound by the hurt that that family has caused. And so I just did number, um, number five. I left it in God's hands. Number six, forgiveness is an ongoing process. Maybe it's not true for you, but in my life, I just want my walk with God to be a one-and-done kind of thing. I had someone this week say, hey, that didn't appear to be the kindest thing to say, and I wish I could have just said, man, I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me and never make that mistake again? Never have to ask for forgiveness again, but you know what? I'm going to. And I hope my heart's in a place where I'm approachable. I hope my heart's in a place where I'm willing to admit that I'm, that I'm not perfect and that I make mistakes and that I miss things. And I even say things in a way that I shouldn't. Forgiveness is an ongoing process. None of us are done growing, amen? None of us has arrived. None of us has come to the point where we are more perfect than the next. None of us has come to the point where we handle ourselves better than anyone else. We're all a work in progress. And forgiveness is a part of that process that we live in. And as long as we're processing it, as long as we're allowing our heart to be open to the process of growing together and hurting together and forgiving together, God has great things in store for us. It's when we put a halt to that, that we stunt our growth. We put our unity in danger, and things can become sticky. And I want to close with this last one. We're going to be done after this. Forgiveness is wanting good for the other person. And this is why I'm going to go back to this family that called me out as a liar in front of the whole congregation. Just, I can't ever remember feeling so hurt in my entire life, so cut down. And have you ever been in a conversation where you just feel the blood rising from here and it just gets closer to your ears and your mouth? And I just just felt it just like that. I was like, who do they think they are? Where do they think they're talking about? How could they say that? That is such a lie. They're so wrong. I could so destroy them right now. That was all the flesh 
going through my mind. And here's what the Lord allowed me to do. I turned to them and I said to them, I'll just call them um, Joe and Sue, so I won't use anybody's name here. I said, Joe and Sue, I can tell that you're hurt. It's me that you shared that hurt with other people, that I, I did an injustice to you. And I told them, I was like, I don't remember you guys being there. I was like, this is groceries, and they stayed with us through the night, and they were there the next day. But regardless of the facts, you feel like I haven't appreciated your involvement in our life since. And I'm sorry for that. Would you please forgive me for any injustice that I was able to cause on your behalf? Because it was never my intention to do anything to cause you to be angry at me or be offended at me in any way. I wish I could say they said we're sorry. But they got up and they ran away. And they never talked to us again. But can I tell you, I have never regretted that moment my entire life. In fact, I look back on that moment as a time when God grew Peter in a way that he's rarely done before. When everyone was watching, when the entire church was looking to see how I handled that moment, the Holy Spirit allowed me to say, you know what? I don't need to have control. I need the Holy Spirit. I don't even have to be right, except guys. I don't have to get my way if I can point everyone to his. It doesn't have to be about me or them, but it can be about God. I'm so thankful in that moment when I could have just filleted them alive. I simply said, here I am. I make mistakes. I'm broken. I'm imperfect. And anything that I've ever done to hurt you, would you please forgive me? And like I said, I wish in that moment they would have, I wish we could have run and embraced each other is what I, my dream was in that moment as it all happened. But instead they turned their backs and were gone. And friends, our experiences are different. They're not always seen in public. Sometimes they are. But we all have these choices to make in our daily life. Are we going to rise above our circumstances and live in the Holy Spirit? Or are we gonna pull back and turn our back on God and each other, because we have the grace to make things right. The choice is up to you. The choice is up to me. And to God be all the glory for the choices that we make as we walk with him. But the fact of the matter is, as believers, God invites us, our identity, not to be in our brokenness, not to be in our hurt, but our identity to be in the forgiveness of the Holy Spirit, both what he does in us and allows us to be a part of as we live life together. God wants us to live life together, forgiving, loving, patient, kind, compassionate. Why? It says the last part of that verse, of that chapter, just as Jesus did for you. Did God deserve to be on the cross? No. Did he do anything to deserve there? No, except take your sin and bear it out of love. Do you deserve what's happened to you? No way. Is there anything you can do about it? To change the facts, probably not. But are you willing to lay down that hurt and offer that kind of grace to someone else? Let's stand and we close in prayer. Lord, there's so much here. There's just so much more that could be said about the way we live our life and the way we work in conflict and the way we go through life. And Lord, 
we would probably all honestly stand before you and say, a lot of the times we mess it up. A lot of the times we say the wrong thing in the wrong way and we have to go on our knees or at least spiritually and say, I was wrong, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I did not want to hurt you. Can we continue to live together? Can we go forward and not be stuck in the past and the things that had happened previously? And Lord, I just ask for your grace in our relationships that we could walk forward together. Letting go of what happened yesterday and grabbing a hold of what you want to happen tomorrow. Lead us, Father, we pray in your precious name. Amen. All God's people said, amen. All right.